This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Our Loving, Listening Heavenly Father. In the first half, Bonnie H. Corden shares her address, Ask of God, Our Solace, Guide, and Stay. Then in the second half, Marilyn W. Barrett speaks on Earnest Prayer. Well, it is a thrill for me to be here with you today. It brings back a flood of memories. When I was a newly returned missionary from Portugal, my very first date was to a BYU devotional. (laughs) I have a long-lasting love for these incredible, wonderful gatherings. The Spirit has a great capacity to teach us the things that we are willing to receive in these sacred settings. I pray that we will pause, pause for just a minute, and be in tuned to what He would have us learn today. From the moment I received the invitation to speak with you, I began to pray for you, the student body, and the faculty. As I prayed, the Spirit touched my heart, giving me a sense of God's tremendous love for you and making me aware of some of your concerns. I was given just a small glimpse of the deep loneliness some of you were dealing with. I felt great anticipation for those of you beginning a new adventure, and I became mindful of the anxiety of those carrying burdens or in transitions, preoccupied about the past, the present, and the future. These reoccurring insights witnessed to me more fully. The Lord knows you intimately, both collectively, but more importantly, individually. Oh, how He loves you. He cares about you in a way that human language cannot adequately express. As part of this mortal experience, we each long to feel loved. We yearn for connection, both to Heavenly Father and to each other. We've gone to great lengths over centuries and decades to connect. Countless tools have been invented. In fact, some of you are probably inventing new tools as we speak all with the hope of easing our loneliness and feeling support and love for one another. Two hundred years ago, a young man read a promise in the scriptures, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Where do we turn for answers? What is our source of comfort and solace? Who is our steadfast guide and stay as we face the challenges of life? Like the prophet Joseph Smith, our answer is to ask of God. God lives. He is our Father. He is accessible to us. He will be our guide, our solace, and our stay if we go to Him in prayer, one of the greatest of all the privileges given to the sons and daughters of God. As we consistently go to Heavenly Father in prayer, we develop a relationship with Him that helps us see ourselves and Him in a clearer light. He will guide us. He wants to help us achieve the divine and eternal potential He knows is ours. Our Savior Jesus Christ taught us the pattern for prayer, a pattern with tremendous power. We call upon Heavenly Father, offer thanks to Him, ask for blessings, and then we close in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. When we approach this communication with real intent, I believe we will see how prayer can bring the will of the Father and the will of the child into correspondence with each other. Recently, as I uttered the familiar words to address Heavenly Father in prayer, I was overcome with a sense of awe. I paused and I thought, Who am I to address God? But almost instantly, an innate knowledge was rekindled. He is my father, and I am his daughter. I know he longs to hear from me as much as I yearn to commune with him. This experience was overwhelming and and revitalizing all at once. Once we humbly call upon God, we get to thank him for our blessings. There is a power that comes as we are generous with our gratitude. Let me explain by sharing a childhood memory. As a little four-year-old, I was asked to pray over the Sunday meal. I began, and I kept one eye open so I would not forget to pray for all the food by name and each family member. 
I prayed for the mashed potatoes, the meat, and the corn, and then I prayed for Mom, Dad, Linda, and Glenn. I was just about to end the prayer when my mother whispered in my ear, And bless Rodney. With the full wrath of a four-year-old, I said, No, and you know why? Well, I do not remember what my older brother Rodney did to be excluded from my prayer (laughs) that day. You can imagine. But I know I was in a dither about something. Maybe some of you can relate to having a hard time expressing gratitude when you are hurt or upset. If we hope to gain the full power of this portion of prayer, we may need to open our hearts more fully. What could have happened if I had thanked God for Rodney that day? What if we offer thanks for those situations that bring us frustration, sorrow, or even anguish? Could we open our heart and offer thanks for a trial while still experiencing it? If you talk to someone who has come through the fierce, fiery furnace or the lion's den, they will tell you that the blessings they have received, that they received increased strength and even miracles that have been discovered amidst their trials. As we sincerely thank God in and through our trials, we invite Him to help us see our trials and ourselves in a different way. Thanking Him rather than asking for something to be taken away helps us accept His unceasing effort to mold us into who we are meant to become. It allows us to see the flow of blessings deeper and broader than we could ever comprehend. Having expressed our gratitude, we have the privilege to ask for blessings. Perhaps a very different list of requests will come from our refocused position of gratitude. The object of our prayers should be to secure for ourselves and for others Blessings that God is eager to bestow according to His will and timing. God knows us, and He knows our potential and our limitations. He wants to bless us in all things temporal and spiritual. Recently, I ran into a BYU student and asked her how her classes were going. She admitted that statistics was giving her some trouble. We talked for a minute And then as I went to hug her goodbye, I whispered, You know, God is really good at stats. And then she responded, I hadn't even thought to ask. The word Google is now in the dictionary as a noun, a verb, and even an adjective. Can you believe that? But I invite you to take your questions to the divine source that starts with a capital G. Prayer may not offer you over 34 million results on a single topic, but through prayer you may be blessed with a clearer mind and quicker understanding. God wants to bless us according to His plan for us, consistent with our need to grow no matter the topic. There may be some of you who are thinking, I have prayed, and I continue to pray, but the Lord doesn't answer. I, too, have questions and concerns that I repeatedly bring to God. There is a reason that prayer is referred to as a form of work. At some point, we all have to wait upon the Lord. The answer may be there, but not as we had expected. It may be a matter of timing, and we just need to continue to ponder and wrestle. Trust that the Lord will guide the future as He has the past. We close our prayer in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He who is the author and finisher of our faith. I love that we begin by acknowledging our relationship to our Heavenly Father, and we close by recognizing Jesus Christ and His role in our lives. This puts our gratitude and our asking in the context of the divine plan of happiness and our commitment to live by that plan. The Savior declared, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. When we sincerely offer our will and our willingness to follow Him in prayer, 
the power of the Savior's atonement and our covenants will help us act on the inspiration we receive. Now, can we pause for just a minute? And can you just take a second to just ponder what have you received this last week as you have asked of God? Mark that down and reflect on those things often as you think, what has the Lord told me? We know that prayer is evidence that the Lord understands the storms of life and the need for his children to have a safe place to retreat. While prayer is spiritual work, it is also an opportunity to find solace as we turn to God. Solace is defined as comfort in times of sadness or distress. The Lord is merciful unto all who will, in sincerity of heart, call upon his holy name. Our Father in heaven wants us to counsel with him about what's important to us. If it matters to us, it matters to him, because we matter to him. Let me illustrate this with a story from my daughter-in-law, Hannah. She says, quote, While I was serving as a missionary in the United States, I was transferred to a new area where a wonderful member would feed us four to five times a week. The first dinner I went to, the sweet sister surprised us with pizza. Excited for each treat, I eagerly ate my dinner and thanked the sister. The next night, you can imagine my surprise when a completely new family treated us again to pizza. I ate the pizza and thanked the family for their thoughtfulness. However, after this pattern was repeated every night for two weeks, I was sick of pizza and started dreading dinner with members. Finally, when it started to weigh me down, I dropped to my knees and told Heavenly Father that I was so grateful for the member's service, but I couldn't eat any more pizza. (laughs) I needed a break, and a meal of fresh vegetables would be wonderful. That evening, after a long day of work, we arrived at a member's home for dinner. The mother was visibly nervous as we sat down to eat. She explained that she was trying to cook healthier for her family, but if we didn't like her dinner, she could order us pizza. (laughs) She then served us a scrumptious dinner of fresh vegetables. In prayer, I thanked Heavenly Father for the break from pizza and courageously asked if it was possible to have curry with rice for dinner. (laughs) My heart started to giggle when we showed up for our next dinner appointment and we were served curry with rice. (laughs) This pattern continued for an entire week. Each morning, I would pray specifically for what I wanted to eat. And that night, the members would unknowingly serve us the exact meal I had asked for. (laughs) Finally, after a week, I told Heavenly Father he won. I couldn't think of any dinner that he couldn't deliver, and I was ready to return to pizza or whatever the members served. After that prayer, my heart felt light and unburdened and grateful for such a mindful and loving Father in Heaven. Like Hannah discovered, every joy seems doubled and every sorrow supported when we bring it to God in prayer. Every prayer is a brick in the foundation of our relationship with Heavenly Father. The true gift of prayer is knowing we are not alone when the world literally brings us to our knees. Many of us have already experienced firsthand what the prophet Helaman warned his sons about when he said, And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundations, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down because of the rock upon which you are built, which is a sure foundation, wherein if men build, they cannot fall. Life sent me a hurricane of sorrow in December of 2016. We took our family on a trip of a lifetime, a week at Disney. 
Our oldest grandchild, Derek, was two and a half, and I was so excited, and he was so excited to discover the magic. For the very first day, everything amazed him. He held my hand, and together we rode as many rides as we could, falling into bed each night, exhausted and happy. In the middle of the fourth night, little Derek stopped breathing, and his parents rushed him to the hospital. I stayed with the family at the hotel and immediately went to my knees in prayer. With a measure of confidence, I asked Heavenly Father to bless little Derek, that he would feel good enough to join us that day for our planned activities. As I was praying, the Spirit gently but unmistakably impressed on my mind, little Derek has returned home to heaven. Wait, what? The answer was so far from my thoughts, and yet I knew it was true. Despite my reeling shock, there was an instant peace from God which passeth all understanding. In my heart and in my mind, I knew then little Derek had passed away. Derek was in a children's hospital for three days on life support. I longed for my little Derek, but as I prayed, I continued to feel comfort and consolation from a loving Heavenly Father. The week after Derek's passing, I was scheduled to do some ministering visits at the primary children's hospital in Salt Lake. I felt overwhelmed and didn't think I could walk back into those medical sights, sounds, and smells again. I pleaded to the Lord for guidance. My heart was tender, and I didn't know if I would be any help to others in their suffering. Could I just stay home? Tears flowed in abundance, which is unusual for me. And the feeling in my heart and mind was, go. Just go. So, with makeup streaming down my face, I went. As I checked in, a sweet peace came over me. The Lord knew my willingness, even though hurting. And He had orchestrated an extra dose of love for me. I was guided to visit Oliver, a young primary child fighting cancer. He was filled with love and courage. He had written on his big whiteboard, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not to thine own understanding. To this day, that scripture is a reminder that my Heavenly Father knows me and loves me. I still have a hole in my heart for little Derek and will until I am able to see him again. But until then, I gain solace in the Lord and keep moving forward, building on a sure foundation of our Savior Jesus Christ. Whatever your mighty shaft in the whirlwind may be, come to him. He knows the end from the beginning, and he knows you. He delights to bless you, and he will carry you. You can trust him. You will find rest in him. With promise, guidance, and proven solace, you would think we would ask of God continually. He will be our stay, our steadfast and constant source of strength and revelation, if we will choose to walk with Him. Yet we sometimes cease to pray. We allow what was once a close relationship and constant communication to become distant and less connected. The Book of Mormon teaches us about the need for continual prayer through the example of Jared and his brother. At the Tower of Babel, The brother Jared cried unto the Lord to save the language of their people, and the Lord responded. Then the brother Jared cried unto the Lord that he would not confound the language of his friends. Both times the Lord had compassion, and they were not confounded. With these prayers answered, the brother Jared returned again to the Lord and prayed concerning their land and where the Lord would have them go. The Lord promised to bless them and meet them in the valley of Nimrod, because this long time you have cried unto me. Jared and his brother went to the valley of Nimrod, and, as promised, the Lord came to them and talked to them. Line upon line, step by step, Jared and his brothers were directed continually by the hand of the Lord. They made it through the wilderness— to the seashore where they pitched their tents and stayed for four years. Certainly, the power of prayer had been understood and practiced throughout their journey, but the brother Jared did not continue praying to the Lord. 
As a result, the account says, for the space of three hours did the Lord talk with the brother Jared and chasten him because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. Wow. What else can we say? After a season of being guided through prayer, did the brother Jared simply forget to pray? Did he feel like he had things under control and he didn't need God? Did he slowly fall out of the habit of praying? President Russell M. Nelson counseled a friend in a similar state of neglect. Understand that in the absence of experiences with God, one can doubt the existence of God. So put yourself in a position to begin having experiences with Him. Humble yourself. Pray to have eyes to see God's hand in your life and in the world around you. Ask Him to tell you if He's really there, if He knows you. Ask Him how He feels about you, and then listen. The example of the brother of Jared brings hope because he repented and was again guided by the Lord. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, It's difficult to imagine what a three-hour rebuke from the Lord might be like. But the brother Jared endured it. With immediate repentance and prayer, this prophet again sought guidance for the journey. God accepted his repentance and lovingly gave further direction for their crucial mission. After this, the brother of Jared's faithfulness was such that he saw God face to face. Our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ love us, even if we have spent four years on the seashore and have never called home. They are there, ready and waiting to bless. How would our relationship with our Father change if the passion and sincerity of our prayers did not wane after the crisis has passed? Can you imagine the truths we will discover and the wonders we will achieve as we choose to pray always with the same fervor we plead when we are in need? My dear friends, the Savior has invited us, abide in me. And notice the promise, it's not with, it is in. I testify that as we abide in Him, His Spirit, which is a spirit of truth, the Comforter, will abide with us. There is no need to muddle through life alone. We can have heaven's help. Through prayer, we will come to understand who we are and how much we are loved. We will know what steps to take to move forward in our own life and how to bless those around us. Our trust, confidence, and humility will increase. I testify of the knowledge and miracles that come from continual communion with our Heavenly Father. Ask of God. Continue to make prayer constant in your life, intentional, purposeful, heartfelt prayer. Allow it to be your solace, guide, and stay. I bear you my testimony that Christ lives, and prayer is a blessing. Ask of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is our loving, listening Heavenly Father. We've just heard from Bonnie H. Corden. After the break, we'll return with Marilyn W. Barrett for Earnest Prayer. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is our loving, listening Heavenly Father. Next is Marilyn W. Barrett, a professor in the BYU Department of Dance at the time of this address, entitled Earnest Prayer. It is a singular honor to be with you today, and I pray that this morning we will feel the Spirit instructing us in our collective and individual needs. I know those of you who know me may be expecting me to talk about dance or children or education, and I am very passionate about those things. I would love to sit down with you and talk about them sometime. Perhaps you're expecting I will share some of the inspirational experiences I've had with some very unselfish BYU students who reach out to children in schools 
and touch their lives in ways that are so satisfying. But these simply are not the messages the Lord would have me share with you today. Now, I know it is traditional to conclude a talk or lesson with personal testimony, but as I begin this devotional address today, I would like to start with my testimony of prayer. I know that God hears and answers our prayers and testify that the act of praying changes us. My testimony of prayer began as a child as I learned to pray from my sweet mother, mom who passed away just one year and one week ago at the age of 89 was a lifelong example of sincere prayer. As a single mother raising seven children, she never doubted that praying was one of her greatest assets. I am so grateful for her patient teaching and reminding throughout my life. She often asked, Marilyn, have you said your prayers? I remember the winter mornings when Mother would drive us to school. Neighborhood friends often gathered at our house to go with us. Mormon and non-Mormon alike were invited to crowd into our front room next to the old upright piano and faded green couch. We would kneel in family prayer with our friends before piling into our blue Plymouth to swoosh down the unplowed snowy roads on our way to West Jordan Junior High School. No matter the season, we never left the house without first invoking the blessings of protection from our Father in Heaven. Nor did we miss very many evening prayers. Mother guided us in opening and closing the day with family prayer. I also remember seeing her kneel next to her bed as I was growing up, as she sought the strength and insight she knew prayer provided. And I never saw her eat anything without first insisting on a blessing. During the last few years, she grew very forgetful, but never about prayer. Speaking to our Heavenly Father was so deeply a part of her that prayers and blessings were never forgotten. If she forgot anything, it was that we had already blessed the food, so our meals together were sometimes doubly blessed. (laughs) My testimony of prayer began, as many of our greatest life lessons do, with the example of a faithful parent, in my case my mother, who taught and encouraged from the earliest days I can recall. The best lessons, of course, are the lessons of example. She always prayed. But my own testimony of meaningful personal prayer deepened only through practicing it. Like Enos, who said, And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto Him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. And all the day long did I cry unto him, yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high, that it reached the heavens. That scriptural passage gives reinforcement and instruction about three principles I have found important for accessing the peace and power of meaningful personal prayer. These lessons from Enos are first, Enos hungered. How was it that Enos hungered? He was out hunting, but it was not physical hunger he felt as he recalled the words of his father and the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. And I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God before I received a remission of my sins and my soul hungered. Enos was in need of change, in need of repentance. He was hungry for spiritual peace, eternal assurance, and joy. This hunger can be likened to praying with the kind of firm faith and real intent that we read about in Moroni and have been counseled to pursue from modern-day Apostle Russell M. Nelson. To access information from heaven, one must first have a firm faith and a deep desire. One needs to ask with sincere heart and real intent, having faith in Jesus Christ. Real intent means that one really intends to follow the divine direction given. What do you hunger for? What do you need? Each family responsibility and church calling I have been blessed with and challenged by has prompted prayers of great need in my life. So has my work and stewardship at BYU. So we share something, two of our most universal needs that we all share in common. First, the need to personally change, to repent, examine, and second, the responsibility and concern we have for others, our stewardships, callings, and work. I'd like to share two examples that taught me about accessing the power of prayer in those two kinds of times of need. 
The first lesson came from my sister Anne. She had heard me complain at length about a particularly difficult situation I was having with a person I felt had wronged me and who seemed to take delight in seeing me struggle. This situation was consuming me. I was angry and frustrated. Anne suggested that I rethink my victim role and instead follow the admonition from the scriptures in Matthew 5 and 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Anne shared a specific strategy that at first was very hard, but I accepted her challenge to pray sincerely every day for 30 days that this individual, my enemy, would have all the best things in life that I would want for myself and my own family. She reminded me that the keys were to be sincere, specific, and consistent for the full 30 days. There was a part of me that wanted this person to be miserable, sincerely praying specifically for the blessings of love, protection, respect, success, and happiness. For them was really hard at first, I will admit. But by day 14, I had relearned the power of prayer to change the one who was praying. I could clearly see that I needed to rethink the whole situation, but mostly to repent from my own pride and anger. By day 30, it had been transformative. Had my enemy changed? Not really. But the power of prayer and a good dose of repentance from my anger had liberated and changed me. The second example of these two universal needs I spoke about was that of Sister Peck who was called to be Relief Society president in Riverton, Utah, where my husband and I purchased our first home. She was very young, in her early 20s, as most of us in the ward were, and she had just delivered her second child when she received her calling. Ours was a rapidly growing ward with a diverse and large number of sisters. Needless to say, she had a full plate. At times, Sister Peck shared her feelings of inadequacy, but more often, she expressed her gratitude for the opportunity to serve each of us. But it was one of her counselors that told us something about Sister Peck I will never forget. Sister Peck prayed for each sister in our ward by name in their weekly presidency meetings. That amazed me. In Alma, we're invited to pray over our flocks. Sister Peck prayed over each member of her flock by name. If she could do that, with each sister in our ward. Couldn't I do more of that, too? Think for a moment about those who you know pray for you, how it makes you feel. And how do you feel when you realize others whom you wouldn't expect to remember you in their prayers? Who could you and I pray for even more specifically? Now, the second principle that was illustrated by Enos in 1 and 4 is this one. Enos kneeled. And I kneeled down before my Maker. You don't need to be a dancer who studies the meaning of movement to recognize the significant symbolism of kneeling. This gesture of humility and reverence does so much for the one kneeling. During a season of my life where that became impossible because of a serious knee injury with its consequent multiple surgeries, I longed for the privilege to kneel again as I prayed, more than I longed to walk and to dance again. The first time my knee could bend enough to kneel, tears of gratitude poured out then, and still do. The scriptures give us a number of references to the importance of kneeling, an attitude of worshipful reverence that it represents. Isaiah instructs, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess before the Redeemer. Alma records, that Ammon fell upon his knees and poured out his soul to God in thanksgiving. In the Doctrine and Covenants, we're admonished to offer a prayer upon our knees and in numerous other places in the scripture. We know this is a simple truth, to kneel down. Boyd K. Packer, in his fall 2009 General Conference address, said, Learn to pray. Pray often. Pray in your heart, in your mind. Pray on your knees. Prayer is your personal key to heaven. The lock is on your side of the veil. 
Now, having silent prayer and ceasing in our mind and heart is wise and worthwhile always, but striving to find a place to be alone, kneel down, and to pray out loud has made a difference for me. Praying out loud is an empowering commitment. It is one of the principles of prayer that we see Enos emulate. The third lesson from Enos is that Enos spoke out loud. And I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication. I did cry unto him, yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. This third principle, praying out loud as Enos did, must have had particular significance for him. I believe it may have helped him be ready to hear the responding voice of the Lord. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. Enos found forgiveness, increased faith and perspective. As he prayed fervently on that day, he gained the desire to keep praying for his loved ones and the preservation of their sacred records. Eventually, he was even moved to pray for his enemies as he raised his voice up to heaven through the night. Praying out loud has had particular significance for me, too. Its active nature takes a different kind of consideration and energy than silent prayer. Speaking out loud while alone requires finding a place of solitude, a sanctuary, a sacred space. Out loud speaking slows down the tendency to rush a prayer. The time itself becomes part of the sacred process. Speaking out loud while praying alone has over my life been an active confirmation, a self-witnessing of my own faith in a loving Father in Heaven who is listening It is certainly not always possible to pray out loud or in solitude, and we are given counsel to pray unceasingly. A silent prayer in our heart is always appropriate, but when your circumstances permit you to do so, I challenge you to consider saying your personal prayers out loud if you don't already do that, and to consider how that might make those prayers more meaningful. And how is it that we should speak in this solitary time of prayer? Using the same language of prayer, we know shows reverence in public. Again, this reinforces our personal relationship to deity. It changes our prayers from simply a list of things we are thankful for and a list of requests to a more worshipful experience. My dance colleague Ed Austin's devotional address from May 2003 enlightens us on this subject. He reminded us what Elder Dallin H. Oaks taught us about the special language of reverence and respect. Elder Oaks asserted, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches its members to use special language in addressing prayers to our Father in Heaven. President Spencer W. Kimball also taught, In all our prayers, it is well to use the pronouns thee, thou, thy, and thine, instead of you, your, and yours, inasmuch as they have come to indicate respect. There are three beautiful prayers offered by the Savior during His earthly ministry and recorded in the scriptures. They are found in Matthew 6, 9-13, John 17, 1-26, and 3 Nephi 19, 20-23. They are models by which we can all emulate our Savior when He prayed. Finally, President Joseph Fielding Smith was clear when he said, The Father and the Son should always be honored in our prayers with the utmost humility and reverence. So far we have been addressing principles learned from Enos and other leaders of the Church about how to pray. Please consider with me now the privilege of praying itself. In his address entitled The Lifeline of Prayer, President Faust stated, Access to our Creator through our Savior is surely one of the great privileges and blessings of our life. I want to share a story about what discovering the notion of sincere personal prayer to a loving Father in Heaven, the kind of prayer we've been discussing today, did for a young Hindu woman in Hyderabad, India. First, I need to set the scene. In August 2001, I had the opportunity of traveling to India as artistic director of BYU's The Dancers' Company. 
While there, we performed and taught in several major cities. We had studied and prepared to be respectful guests by learning as much as we could about the culture and customs of the people of India before leaving Provo, but with a culture as ancient, diverse, and complex as India's, we were only moderately prepared and versed in the beliefs and social customs. I observed when I got there, in the people that I met, a consistent dedication to education and family. The people of India are well-read. I also saw great charity and spiritual qualities in these people, most of whom are Hindu. It was inspirational, one of the most marvelous experiences of my life. I'm so grateful I was able to share it, not with just the dancers, but with the other directors and my husband and my daughter who danced on the company that year. But while we were there, we met a very small number of wonderful Latter-day Saint missionaries, humanitarian service missionaries, and convert members. It's not economically or socially easy to convert from Hinduism to Mormonism. Not only are the theologies extremely different, but a person loses social status and is often cut off from their family by simply becoming a Christian. Again, I'm not expert about the complex social systems of India, but I can tell you that I witnessed a variety of circumstances wherein the separation of those from different castes was manifested. For example, at one of our first performances, I was sweeping up some rice that was left on the stage at the completion of a dance in which the soloist slowly drops rice from her hands during the dance. But some of the native Indians from backstage called to me to stop. They were very, very concerned. And then they cautioned, only the untouchables do that kind of menial labor. You should not be sweeping. Untouchables are members of a group considered below even the lowest social caste or varna. I sweep all the time. It meant nothing to me, but to them it was of concern. I mentioned earlier a woman whose story I'm about to share. And this woman, Annapurna, came from the highest caste or varna. Now, I vividly remember the day I met Annapurna and our motorized rickshaw taxi ride together. Please forgive me just a little bit longer while I set the scene a bit more. These vehicles are basically a motor scooter with a buggy-like attachment that can carry about three passengers at a time. They're soft-sided, have no protection, or seat belts for the passengers. Because they're small and lightweight, the drivers often careen wildly through streets as they strive to get as many fares as possible in a day's work. Riding in these vehicles usually created heightened anxiety in me as I worried for my life. I'm even gripping the podium right now, remembering this. <sighs> and the lives of the BYU students riding in them with us. But there were times when we just simply had to ride in these rickshaws because our transportation choices were limited. Upon arriving at the airport in Hyderabad more than two hours late, Anna Purna, her husband, a new branch president, and their 11-month-old baby met us. They had helped arrange transportation for our small group that day as we hurried to get to the LDS church where we were scheduled to present a midweek youth fireside. I rode in a rickshaw with one of the dancers and Annapurna. Her husband and baby went in a small car with the other members of our group. We needed to hurry. After a few minutes of observing the rickshaw driver dodge and dart through busy traffic, I realized that watching the road really wasn't a good idea. Annapurna was a lovely hostess. Her English was very good, and as we bounced along, we exchanged the usual courteous greetings shared by people who have just met. Then I became very curious. I asked her to share her conversion story and how she made the dramatic change from Hindu to Latter-day Saint. The spirit that engulfed us that late afternoon during our rickshaw ride was tangible. The atmosphere inside that little cubby in the back of that motor scooter changed. We were all unaware of the dangerous twists and turns and we were completely drawn into her story. Annapurna came from a devout Hindu family. Her father, grandfather, and great-grandfathers for many generations were all Brahmin priests. Her brothers were expected to follow in the family tradition, and she and her sister were expected to marry young men from their own varna, or social caste, 
who would qualify to become Brahmin priests. Again, I am not expert on the practices of this religion, but as she explained it to me, she had spent much of her life memorizing and learning all of the rituals and sacred prayers, or Vedas, that were part of the practice of her religion. She said, I always felt like the many steps that had to be taken in order to reach deity were so complicated and took so long that I wished for an easier or better way. I yearned to access enlightenment, or what I know now as a loving Father in Heaven, more directly and immediately in times of need, but didn't know how and never shared my thoughts with anyone because I knew that kind of thinking was unacceptable in my family. When Annapurna was 17, her wonderful grandmother, the light of her life, died, and Annapurna's grief was immense. I desperately wanted to see my Dadima again and was struggling with accepting that she was gone. Imagining her essence going into another form just wasn't comforting me. I kept feeling like my grandmother was near. I wanted to believe that I could talk to her as I had known her, my Dadima. Annapurna yearned to pour out her heart in grief and find comfort or hope, but had no one who understood the way she was feeling. And then she was befriended by a member of the Church. She discovered that Mormons pray every day to a loving Father in Heaven, often several times a day. They don't have to attend a shrine, travel to a far distant temple, and follow a series of long, specific Vedas, offerings, and steps to reach God. He's always there, ready to listen and comfort. Annapurna wanted to know more about this way of praying, and she began to pray like a Mormon. And that was the beginning. She knew this was the answer she had been looking for all her life. She studied the life of Jesus Christ read the Book of Mormon, and was taught the Gospel. She was baptized a couple of years later, but did not know how she was going to tell her family. Now the story really gets interesting. You may not remember, but Annapurna had a sister. This sister had attended school in another city, and they had been separated for a number of years. Like Annapurna, she had been devastated at their grandmother's death. In a country where less than 3% of the population is Christian, and in 2001, less than 5% of those Christians were LDS, the odds of two sisters meeting two different Mormons in two different cities within a month of each other are extremely low. But that is just what happened. Annapurna's sister was drawn to the LDS belief that families are forever that through Jesus Christ and his gift of resurrection, she could not only see but be with her grandmother as she knew her again. Without the other sister knowing, each of them had been baptized within a short time of one another. I remember how Annapurna said that she told her sister, I have to tell you something very important, and I hope you will not hate me, she said. Her sister responded, I have to tell you something. And it may mean that we will never see each other again. Each confessed at the same time, I've been baptized into the Mormon Church. (laughs) I met Annapurna only a few years after her baptism. She shared with me that most of her family ties had indeed been severed. She no longer had the privileges of the Brahmin caste in her social life. Everything in her life had changed. But she was so grateful to have found the truth of the gospel because of her lifelong desire and feeling that she could and should be able to communicate with God more directly. She discovered prayer. Our over 45-minute ride ended, but it had felt like we'd only been going for a few moments. The Spirit had been so strong and her testimony of prayer so powerful that time ceased to exist on that ride. I realized as I climbed out of that rickshaw that evening in front of the little building used as both chapel and recreation hall by the Hyderabad saints that I had taken my personal knowledge of prayer for granted most of my life. Let's read the rest of the statement from President Faust's address. 
Access to our Creator through our Savior is surely one of the great privileges and blessings of our lives. I have learned from countless personal experiences that great is the power of prayer. No earthly authority can separate us from direct access to our Creator. There can never be a mechanical or electronic failure. When we pray, there is no limit on the number of times or how long we can pray each day. There is no quota of how many needs we wish to pray for in each prayer. We do not need to go through secretaries or make an appointment to reach the throne of grace. He is reachable at any time and at any place. Ultimately, as President Kimball promised, there is a knowledge that our Father in Heaven wants each of us to have, and that is a personal knowledge that He hears and answers our prayers. In closing, I testify to you again that our Heavenly Father is intimately interested in hearing from us, that He is omnipresent and available to listen at all times. I also testify that as we sincerely pray unto the Father through our Savior Jesus Christ, we will be changed. I am grateful for the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, for a living prophet, and for the guidance prayer provides. May we all more fully appreciate this privilege and commit ourselves to making our personal prayers more meaningful. Lastly, may I end on a personal note to you students here at BYU and to my family. Students, we the faculty love you. We pray for you, name by name, when possible, and invoke the Lord's choicest blessings upon you. Thank you for reciprocating and praying for us. We feel your prayers. To my husband, children, and grandchildren, to all of my family, please know that I am particularly grateful for the answers to prayers that led me to you, Craig, my eternal companion, and that helped us guide our family as we have raised them. Thank you all for being here today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was our loving, listening Heavenly Father with thoughts from Bonnie H. Corden and Marilyn W. Barrett. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.